Welcome everyone to the Nikki Smash Show. I hope you're well. I am joined by you know, Scottish legend. You know, people write books and stories, and there's probably a couple of films about this man. It's mother effing big owl. <laughs> all right, actually, all right, I'm in a couple of films. Oh, you which films are you in? Well, uh, technically, I'm in Shaun of the Dead. What? You know, the, the, the scene when they're in the pub. Yeah. Getting drunk. And they're, they're talking about the uh, the barman being a gangster. Yeah. And the, the rifle above the bar. And they said, it must be real because Big Al says so. That was That's actually a reference to me. <laughs> no way. Yeah. Dude, that's so good. <laughs> I never knew that. Yeah. That's so good. I think because Simon Pegg used to... Simon and Nick used to share a flat in London with Michael Smiley, who's a really good mate of mine. Right. And I used to stay down, if I was in London for anything, I always stayed at their house. And we went out one weekend to, I think this is where it came from, because there's a whole bit about dogs can't look up. Yeah. <laughs> we went to Walthamstow to the Greyhound racing and last minute got a bit of a tip. It was one of those however much money you've got, put it on this dog. Yeah. And uh, we did. We won a fucking fortune <laughs> and got very, very drunk. And I, I think it might have come from that night, but I don't know. That's but yeah, when the, when the film was coming out, Simon sent me a text message and just said, look out for your part in the film, which really confused me. Because <laughs> I don't recall filming anything. Yes. <laughs> Amazing. Fucking hell. Well, that's probably the best introduction i've had on the show so far you can't you know ladies and gentlemen that was it you know you know two minutes in and we're done i think you know you can't top that you know but you're before we, we were talking just off air a second ago about the transformation of music of the music industry and nfts which we will totally get into but yeah. there isn't much you haven't done in the industry is there uh well, a lot of people would say there's not much I've done right in the industry because I've moved from <laughs> thing to thing to thing. Um, Until you ask, man. <laughs> started off, like a lot of people do, just humping guitar cabs for a mate's band and moved from there into working local crew, picked up bits of work for different sound and light companies, then started working for one of the big promoters up in Scotland, crewing like being like a crew boss and stage manager, then moved on to repping shows. And then from there went into touring, doing tour management, stage management, production management. Um, so yeah, there's been a bit of everything. I mean, everything from little toilet tours to doing arenas and yeah, bits of everything. Yeah, and somehow in the middle of that, you got the short straw of working with the Clayton brothers. They're not that bad compared to some of the people I've worked with, but yeah, they are. Mark's fine. John's an asshole. <laughs> Maybe we should have like a um, a, re a reunion get together, but on on the show, you know. Yeah. You know, we should totally do that. You know, well, yeah. that's where we met, wasn't it? Like, that's Christ. Was that 2018? Uh, what are we in now? 21, 19. 
No, it was it, it's earlier than that. No. Was it? Yeah, yeah. The last tour we did was was nineteen. Well, the pitch. I think the last pitch shifter one was November 20, 2018. and then it was Mark's fiftieth in nineteen, which is where we. Yeah. Was it? I think yeah, I'm getting mixed up now. Shite. That's 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 what happens, isn't it? Touring. Does it? Does it? It does. I thought it was nineteen because we didn't do anything last year because of COVID, and then we're waiting to see if we're going to get to do it again this year or not. Well, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Well, we'll be out, probably out together again when we do that. But yeah, Christ, man, like you can be the family. Are you going to be the family chauffeur again? Probably. Yeah, if if he if JS pays me enough, <laughs> he pays people now. Well, I mean, yeah, <laughs> I think my day rate will increase. You know, yes, got more got more members of the family to feed now, so I've got to be like, yeah. come on, boys. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, that was that was nuts. That tour. That Probably was nice because because having kind of given up touring because it just there comes a point where depending on what level you're at you either submit to the fact that it's just going to make you nuts or you you take a step back from it and I took a step back from it but I'm also I mean everybody in the band is is getting to that age where pardon me None of us are, are young anymore. Well, we had that sports yeah. therapist massage on every day. Yeah. We were all fucked. Well, that's because after the first show and everybody went hell for leather and everybody woke up the next morning remembering that we're all old and we can't do it anymore. What was my excuse, man? I, I fell down the stairs in the garage in the rehearsal day. Yeah. Off the trying to move that fucking Ampeg. Yes. Went and I was like, with Gary going, What are you doing down there? And I'm like, I'm in a lot of pain. Yeah. You could tell in the first show that that Mark was going to be knackered the next day because he just he just went for it. Yeah. He was like literally like a dog out the chops, you know, it was just like Christ. Yeah. And then of course everybody being back together again. You're the first night on the bus. Everybody has a bit of a skinful, and you wake up the next morning. You're lying in your bunk, and it's getting six o'clock in the morning, and you've only been asleep for four hours, and you need to pee, but you can't be bothered getting up to pee because everything hurts so much. And it's that point you remember. It's like now I remember why I stopped doing this. <laughs> and that was a straightforward tour. Yeah, that was a really straightforward tour. It was, it was like- fine. I don't think any of us could have managed more than seven days though yeah it, it was you didn't, didn't even go far man we only went like yeah Portsmouth to Nottingham <laughs> yeah I remember one of the pitch of the tours we did 27 shows in 28 days and strangely enough the only day we had off was John's birthday oh yeah was funny it? that yeah yeah that sounds like JS Christ yeah. alive, man. Christ alive. Well, it was funny, actually, because after that tour, I was out on the road um, supporting massive wagons, and we ended up playing the garage in Scotland. Yeah. Amazing venue. Yes. And um, 
they have the best road crew I've ever come across. Yeah. You know, and it's one of those things where our bass player at the time was just like, dude, these guys are fucking nuts. They're like just lugging gear like it's it's nothing, you know. And I said, yeah, well, the first time I met uh, this guy on the pitch shifter tour, he was holding a four by 12 in one hand. And this guy turns around and goes, that sounds like Big Al. And I went, yeah. it was. <laughs> well, They're a great yeah. bunch of guys up there. Yeah, it was a great venue, man. Uh, they're really good guys. But yeah, it's just like, Christ, man, he's more famous than the bands of Big Al. You know? Dude, I was doing a gig in there one day. And it was a band from Australia called, what were they called? I think it was Friends of Rome. And the the band were, they just loaded everything in. They were, they were pottering about on stage and I was just dicking about with the crew guys. And I could see one of the guys keeping looking at me. And I was like, there's something going on here. What's going on? And I just kind of wandered over and I went, are you all right? And he went, is your name Big Al? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, heard all about you in Sydney. I'm like, I've never been to Sydney. He's like, no, no. Everybody said, if you're going to Scotland, see if you can find Big Al. <laughs> it's like, how tall are you? Six foot seven. Fuck. Fucking hell, man. Like, just, it's, uh, you gave me a bad neck on that. I was just constantly like that, like staring up, you know? It's awful. It still stands a little bit further back. Yes. <laughs> yeah, of course. Oh man. Wow, oh, man. That reminds me. Do you remember at Mark's birthday, right, in Bristol? Um, when he fucking fell down the stairs. Yeah. He had he sent me next day a picture of his ass. It was just black. I don't know why I've just remembered that, but I think it was to do with him talking about height and stuff. And yeah. that tiny staircase to get into that place, that little barge thing, I just remember him disappearing <laughs> through the depths of it. Like, are you still there, mate? <laughs> Going through fucking hell, dude. Oh, shit. It's, yeah. Um, Andy Mountain, who used to be the drum tech for Feeder, yeah. I did some shows with them, pissed out of his face on the bus one night, trying to get into his bunk. <laughs> trying to take his <laughs> you shouldn't laugh but you can't help it try to take his jeans off just as somebody in a car on the motorway cut the bus up so the bus driver slammed the brakes on and Andy comes head first down the bus stairs wow. with his trousers and his underpants round his ankles and ends up because you know how, how cramped that space is oh it's horrible ends up like upside down with his legs in the air, with his arse hanging out, just going, what's happening? What's happening? Oh, shit, man. People think that being in the back of tour buses is like this glamorous, you know, no. I don't, it's not much better than a van. It really isn't, you know. No. It's, it, there's, yeah. there's a little bit more space to move about, but once everybody, because, I mean, on average, a bus has got, 12 14 people on it yeah there's not that much space inside and once you've got people's jackets and um hopefully just small bags not big bags they should all Fucking be in the bay when but people start bringing yeah you, you, you run out of space really quickly yeah yeah somebody once said that? to me that they um 
prisoners on death row in the States legally have twice as much space as the average person has on a tour bus. <laughs> like the size of the cells that they have to give them like as a, as a human right. Which doesn't surprise me. I heard I heard a story once that um, Tony Wright from Terrorvision and Like a Dog um, was on tour so much and just got so confined to being in that tiny space, which people think like you got this, you know, lavish bed or whatever, but you got this tiny letterbox that you got to sift into, you know, with a tiny curtain, you know, which doesn't leave much to the imagination anyway. And he, apparently he had something built like a small box so he could like wean himself off being on tour. I think uh, Mark told me that, but I've heard a few I'll, stories I'll of people him. like that. I, yeah. I, when I used to get it, you'd, you'd, when you get home from a tour, it was almost like trying to persuade your partner to lie awake at night and just rock you gently so that you would go to sleep because yeah. you get so used to the motion of the bus that it, it does. It's like a baby. It rocks you to sleep. Yeah, and it's weird being like horizontal in it as well. That's one thing that like always used to like throw me. I mean, I haven't been on many. I've only been on like one or two, but I remember that whole thing of just being sideways. Yeah. Just rocked in, you know, it does, it does. There's something soothing about it, definitely, you know, but you can't like wiggle about and stuff. Well, you certainly bloody can't. (laughs) No, people used to say you could always tell which bunk was mine because there was one foot sticking out the bottom. Um, Because on uh, most standard bus bunk is six foot six long. Yeah. So you kind of, yeah, something has to stick out. Yeah. (laughs) Might as well be your foot, mate. (laughs) Although Beat the Street used to have a bus. Um another famous Scottish legend, Gordon Patterson, Gunji, who was seven foot two, who worked for the well, last time I saw him, he was doing uh system of a down, died from cancer. But they had Fuck. they specifically altered one of their buses so that they bunk at the top of the stairs, the top bunk above the stairs stretched out another eight inches over the top of the stairwell so that he could get in it. Fucking hell. What, 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 what do they feed you up there? Agus. Agus. <laughs> Fucking hell. Agus well, and anything deep fried. Yes. I had a deep fried Mars bar. It was amazing, but I did feel like my arteries were clogging. Yeah. Because they probably were. You just got to be careful when you bite into it that it's not still like lava inside. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, when I was doing them, um, when I played at uh, Bannerman's in Edinburgh, um, one of the bands I was with got, it was like, oh, I'm going to get a fucking battered Mars bar. Went in and did the same thing, was like, oh, I can't wait to bite into it. And before the guy could say, wait. Yeah. Burnt the side of his mouth. It was like, oh. It's oh, not pleasant. No. Well, you deep fry everything up there, even Iron Brew. Yes. Deep fried pizza, Scottish delicacy. Deep fried pizza. Yeah. <sighs> that sounds amazing. Yeah, especially if you do it at, like a light coating and batter first. It's called a pizza crunch. <laughs> it goes all crispy. <laughs> well, mate. I, well, I know who's going to be doing catering on the next tour then. Yeah. 
All right. It's just the same when we're not doing any shows in Scotland, or or we could have some fine cuisine. Yeah, is it going to Scotland the next one? Don't think so. Fucking, they're too afraid to cross the border these days. Yeah, John's (laughs) not allowed. He's not got a visa. Probably not. No, bloody American. You know, is he American now? I think he's officially a resident alien. A resident alien. Talking of which, have you seen that show yet? No. Resident Alien. No. Watch it. Is it good? I think it's on the sci-fi channel. And it's basically an alien who crash lands in the back of beyond and like (laughs) Montana and ends up being the town doctor. What the fuck? It's mental. It's absolutely mental. He's got this whole thing of the whole like plotting to kill a five-year-old child the whole way through it. It's it's just one of those proper kind of off the wall things that you spend the whole of the first episode going what what the fuck is this yeah, yeah. I have to watch the first episode like twenty times to, to like get get through it all. Yeah. It's just it's nice to have a show that isn't completely formulaic. Yeah, totally. Yeah, definitely give it a go. Well, as we were talking off air before about NFTs and stuff. Yes. Talking about the man himself, old Jess, when he, he gave me, like I said, he gave me the call there, and he was like, NFTs, bruv, da 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 da, and telling me all about it. Kind of like, um, what do you make of it all? You said you've done some. I, I literally, today, somebody mentioned it, and I was like, I've heard the term before, but I'm going to start investigating. Um, and from what I can gather, it's, it's blockchain technology, so it's the same kind of backbone as Bitcoin and cryptocurrency uses. Yeah. But it means, if I'm getting this right, it means a band can release something that only the person it's registered to can listen to it. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, I, th- I think it? that's it because... So you can't you can't share it about like a, like a MP3 file or anything. No, and if you can it will be obvious that it's not the original. Right. Because there's, yeah, like, you know, there's metadata and blockchain technology attached to it. So what I've been learning and I had a brief 20-minute chinwag with JS, what he was saying about how it all works is I don't think it can be properly done with audio as of yet. It's close. Yeah, I think it's more of like you've got to treat it as like, you know, oh, here you can stream the album, but here's a limited edition vinyl. It's kind of on that kind of pathway at the moment, but digitally. So there's ways that I've seen it. So you could have things like the album was mixed and mastered here, yeah, but you could mix and master it by someone else and it sound completely different, but that's only available as an NFT. Okay. So you could say, like, arguably the best way to listen to this record is through NFT. So you're like, okay, cool. So it's like special edition, things like that. And what you need to do is you need to find a way of, like, having a stamp of authenticity on it. So you can have anything. You could take, but it's it, but it's all digital. Yeah. That's the thing with it. So that's why it works really well with art and like album covers and stuff because um 
if they make a digital like tattoo artists are now getting on it you know they they have those like digital tablets that they draw on and stuff yeah so they create through there and then what they do is they kind of authenticity or authentically get their artwork stamped by registered whatever it is i can't remember what this place is called but they get it registered yeah and then it's ho and then it's it's like hosted in like a online security bank or something and then you yeah. you you then sell it but it's not you, you sell it as um ethereum and it's it's kind of so if you like one eth is two thousand dollars yeah so each coin is a roughly around about two grand so you do it by decimal decimal points so 0 0.001 of an ETH would be like $25 or something. And you can kind of stretch it from any any price point. But there has to be... The thing that I think people are getting a bit confused with, with it is that people are like, oh yeah, this is the future. Musicians are going to be rich again. But there has to be a demand. Otherwise, it's not worth anything. Yeah. So... Kings of Leon, their new record has been done in NFT. So if you, you can buy the record normally, absolutely. If you buy it from them as an NFT, um, it's you get two lifetime tickets to any gig in the world, every, any forever. Okay. Like you're first on the list. If you just call them up and go, oh, I want these tickets for there, they just go, yeah, cool. Like front row. It's not a bad idea. It depends how they can make it work. Yeah, and that's where it's like, that's where it's like, well, that's not, that's not something digital. That's you've bought the, a digital something or other, but you get a physical, yeah, like a contract basically. So it's quite, you know, it's interesting, but it's a bit like fuck. I, you know, I can't see how it benefits smaller artists because there's no demand for them to create anything of like high value because they're not worth anything they're not worth anything that's yeah. a bit emo but you know what i mean <laughs> you know <laughs> it's, it'll be interesting to see how it develops but i think the the thing that file sharing did apart from I was going to say destroying the music industry, but it hasn't because the music industry will always find a way to survive. Well, it's making more through... money than it's ever made at the moment. Yeah. Um, it, it made people realize that there has to be a different way to do things. And more and more yeah. artists are taking risks and doing things in a different way. A lot of them aren't going to be successful, but it's it's also meant that more artists can get stuff out there because you're not the internet in general we look at things like Bandcamp, and even even when myspace was a thing you only yeah. have to remember myspace oh yeah man i was all over myspace i loved it <laughs> um <laughs> it takes away the thing that the record companies had which i'm not saying it's a bad thing it's gone was they had a giant shit filter in the A&R guys yeah the quality control bar yes yes it wasn't always the best thing in the world no because a lot of bands who probably should have got signed didn't because they're not looking at the quality of the music they're looking at the commercialism of it 
Yeah. However, the flip side of that, and there is always a flip side for every good always. idea, there's a bad idea. Yeah, yeah. Is yeah. there's nothing to stop anyone who wants to releasing music now. Yeah, it's like that's your nan can thing. release a song. Yeah, that's not a bad thing. However, it means there's inf- infinitely more absolute shite out there. Yeah. That you have to troll through to find something good. Yeah. And especially with the way that the technology's gone, that that every man and their dog in their bedroom with a keyboard can put something together. Yes, you never know what you're gonna find, what what piece of genius you're gonna find. But there's a lot of people putting music out there thinking they deserve something because they used ten samples from a loop pack that they paid fifty quid for. Yeah, exactly. And I know that's going to, a lot of people will probably be watching going, oh my God, I can't believe you're saying that. But it's just, it's It's true though. It's true, man. You know, the quality control of everything is gone. And that's where, like, yeah, like you said, you know, it's gone too far the other way now. Where it's like, actually, you know, oh, cool. I don't need a label. Brilliant. I'm in a position where I can record. And, you know, instead of like handing out my record to labels, I, I can bypass that and still get yeah. it out. So you're like, brilliant, cool. So my distribution deal is is digital and I can get it out to everywhere in the world. Brilliant. But then when you know that there's like the crazy frog. <laughs> Made a lot of money. Yeah, right. You know, doing the same thing with no labels, <laughs> no, nothing attached to it. And yeah. you're like, that's... That is the the kick in the balls, isn't it? Because yeah. you're not able to. Well, you have to fight that shit as much as you got to, you know, you know where before you got to think like, well, my competitors are still Foo Fighters or something like that when I'm releasing material. You know, like, well, actually, you know, before I can even think about going anywhere near that kind of realm, I've got to get through, you know, some indie band or some shit, you know, who have got like you know no money and no talent and no nothing and they've yeah. made some noise and they've released it and on a music on a musician to musician level it's like hats off to you anyone who can pick up an instrument and do something with it is has my respect yeah but when you're trying to you know when you're trying to have a kickabout with ronaldo on a sunday league pitch He's still, you know, it it's, doesn't matter where it is. He's still Ronaldo and he's going to do well. But, you know, taking taking that kind of example into music just doesn't fly now. Everything's on, you know, it's like when you get weird cup draws in sport where you get like Man United versus like fucking, I don't know, Wigan Town or some shit. You know what I mean? Like... <laughs> you know and you're like cool yeah that's like uh that's a that's a that's a balanced match up you know but that's kind of the playing field isn't it you know that's that's literally the music playing field equivalent like with all this stuff and yes yeah, sometimes stuff gets through and you're like wow that's wicked and it is just you like some kid in a bedroom and you think well, well there's obviously some talent there because he hasn't got abbey road at his fingertips but he's he's doing something and it's good the problem with with one of those kids there's 10,000 others making shit yeah 
I remember when I first got onto Kerrang TV and uh, Scuzz TV in like 2009, 2010, might even be before that. And it was Alex Heron at the time. He was doing all, all that stuff through Sky Music and stuff. And he, I, rem- I always remember this email from him. We sent it to him like, check out our video. We've made a video. <laughs> Could you play it? And he sent back saying, you were the last email of a batch of 500 shit bands. And he said, finding you was worth every 499 shit band to find you guys. And I was like, fuck, that's so good. But yeah, but that, that, you but still have to happen. go through those 499 still have to go through them. That's it. But the thing is now, it's like there isn't 499. There's like 400,099 to get through. And there's still only one good one. Yeah, it's not like there's ten good ones from that. You know, the ratio is just far off now. So I, I don't know how the industry as a whole can like reel that back in somehow. You know, but you don't want to give the power back. You know, to quote Rage Against the Machine. You know, you no. don't want to give it all. But back. then the, the the I think because I've been in the industry at so many different levels and seen so many different sides of it a lot of the time yes the record companies are taking a big gamble but it's also weighted in their favor that if it pays off they're going to make big out of it yeah but it's the same with um you get um bands that will slate promoters for for how much they get paid for a gig it's like well the promoter's the one that's taking all the risk here yeah. If you don't want to be doing a gig and being paid 50 quid because you've only done four gigs, put on your own gig. Yeah, do it yourself then. See yeah. how much money you can lose. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God, man. Yeah, that's a that's a thin line again, you know, doing that stuff. There's always that thing of, you know, regardless of what, how big or small you are, whenever you're trying to get up the next bit of the ladder you know from a 50 cap venue to 100 cap 150 200 you know you feel like okay cool i've done this capacity now here's the next step and it's the same thing it's the door's the same you know every every turning point where you're like they're like why should i take a risk he's like well we can sell out that and they're like doesn't mean shit to me mate yeah you know and you're like cool (laughs) You know, I could make more money playing to less people. That doesn't make sense. You know, like, I don't know. It's, it is a gamble like that, isn't it? You're right. But people do get funny with that now, don't they? You know, and I fell into that. There's, there's a lot of people get into it for the music and don't realise that it's the music business. Yes. The second word being the important word in that phrase. Well, people go, music is from the soul. It's from, yeah, it is. But you know, you, you, you've got to put some money somewhere. Yeah. You know, and people forget that, you know, they think, I think that's a generational thing now as well, actually. I see it a lot. Well, I teach, you know, you know, and lecture and stuff. And you see it in some people where they haven't done anything. They haven't even done a show. And then they're mid twenties or something. And then you go, the world doesn't owe you shit, mate. You know, yeah and the industry doesn't know you shit either you know it's like i always coin this phrase now because ace skunk told it to me and he was going he's like dude 
the um the world owes us nothing and we'll take it in abundance <laughs> it's like yeah it's so true and you know the people that don't realize that you know when they're like you know well i've got thirty thousand plays on spotify and it's like cool are any of that thirty thousand going to turn up to the show yeah how many of them were your mum? yeah exactly yeah you know sticking the song on repeat and turning the volume off and going to bed you know all that yeah. stuff well there was a band that did that right you know i can't remember who it was where they were making right. a point right. about a few people have done it where they just done they released 10 tracks of like three minutes of silence and they said oh, i'll just put this on repeat and then they got paid for it and it's like okay well you, you've got to give them props for the way that they found a way to to bend the system yeah i suppose that's the business you know the business bend and as it all yeah but yeah it's you know all that i mean even that's convoluted now you know where you're getting online distributors pulling people off spotify if they think there's foul play which yeah. they should you know well maybe not pull them off but maybe just reset their plays to zero or, or something yeah. but like yeah you're seeing it all over the place now like there was um one of my students was telling me that in um i think it's sweden some guy bought like two million streams so at the end of the week he was number one yeah for a day but got the number one <laughs> um yeah it's it's just like brilliant somebody will always find a way around the system yeah that's going to be the thing with the nfts is it's how long is it going to be before somebody finds a way around it well yeah i mean it's harder and harder and harder to do but i mean i'm not like a tech guy in that way you know and i'm only just understanding the idea of blockchaining and things like that myself and how i could implement that you know not for like money but like just keeping with the times and you know, you, it's always that fear of like, don't want to be left behind. I don't have management or anything anymore, you know, and I'm not with a label and stuff anymore. So I'm totally all, I'm, I'm me, you know, <laughs> you know, and with Patreon and stuff, but. You don't want to be like your dad that every time you go to visit him, you have to explain to him how to set the VCR. <laughs> <laughs> if people. But it happens. I now. see it now. Hamish is almost six. And he does stuff on my iPad that I don't know how to do. It's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like my stepdaughter. We were sitting, we were sitting the other day. Stuff on there and I have no fucking clue what she's doing. Yeah. And she's like, don't you know what? You know, do this, do that. And then you could do that. And I'm like, I have no. Where did you even have the time to learn that? Like, yeah. where's that come from? Yeah. God damn it, man. We're getting old. Are we old now? Yeah. Shit. Well, I am. I'm thirty-four. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be thirty-five this year, mate. You're, well, yeah. I'm over the hill now. Yeah. I'm fifty-three this year. So I see, man. You, you still, you still got legs, mate. You had a well. I, I, I see. I am now officially the weird dad at school. Why is that? Because we like you do the 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 drop-offs in the morning, and it's all. Uh there's, uh, I mean, I don't know an awful lot of the other parents, but it's like Range Rover, Range Rover, BMW. There's a guy with a Lexus. There's an Audi, <laughs> and it's 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 quite a well-off bunch of people. And there's doctors and 
all sorts, and I turn up at 53 and I'm still wearing band t-shirts and shorts like I'm on my way to a gig. Yeah, damn right. Yeah. But I turn still... up with my nails painted and stuff and all the people are going, oh, it's a bit weird, isn't it? Yeah. We yeah. still <laughs> run about and scream and shout at each other in the car park and, and you can see the slightly terrified looks on some of the parents' faces. Yeah. Um, but that's fine. I don't care. Yeah, I've never really, you know, politely to other parents, I've never really parented like that. Yeah. <laughs> Just do my bit and then go, you know. It's you know, part part of being a musician is meeting random people all the time anyway. And yeah, school school drop off is a day off for that. <laughs> yeah. It's not a time when you can be like, oh hi, how's little so and so? It's like I don't wanna know, mate. You know, no, don't wanna don't wanna know, you know, I've got my own shit to kind of deal with dude <laughs> you, know? you know but it's weird you see that like the the parents have all got their, their own little groups yeah 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 yeah. i'm not like part that of one i'll talk to that one but they won't talk they to them talk over to there yeah. yeah 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 it was like um i remember when um i took my uh, son to air cadets once years ago when we just released our second record and um someone had someone had it in their car <laughs> And they put the window down and they're playing it really. And they're like, all right, mate. And I was like, you're right. And he's like, look, like pointing out. And I'm like, yeah, I'm well aware what you're doing. Thanks. Makes me feel a bit weird. <laughs> you're like, I appreciate it. That's really nice of you. I, I really do. I, it's, it's lovely that you've taken the time to do that. Yeah. But in the car park at 10 o'clock at night, picking up all the kids from Air Cadets and you've, yeah. you're blaring my song at a deafening volume in your car i'm like and i'm in well, a, a i was in the prius at the time do you know what i mean so it was like yeah <laughs> we do it a lot when i if i go and pick him up from school it's uh there's like the there's the little kids class the year before him and then his lot come out and then the ones who are a year older come out and they're like staggered by like five minutes so by the time there's loads of parents sitting there and everybody's as long as it's not raining everybody's out of the cars and they're milling around in the car park and a lot of the time hamish will jump into the car and he'll just go daddy music yes and it's like that's my cue windows yeah. down let's do it turn it up what can i find that's that's not too offensive yeah yeah i know what you mean yeah but it's like, if they think I'm weird, I'm quite happy to play up to that. I'm quite happy to play up to the... Like, I don't mind. Yeah. I'm cool with being like the token goth parent. I kind of like that. Nobody should be happy being a goth. <laughs> on now. I'm quite you're smiley. That, you've just taken that a bit too far. Oh, have I? But I'm quite a smiley goth. <laughs> <laughs> There's no such thing, surely. I know, yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, turn that smile upside down. Yeah. <laughs> well... Fucking hell, yeah, man. School runs are weird for that shit, man. Anyway, in it, you know, it's just I, I don't really, yeah, like we're saying, I can't really adjust to all that stuff. I, it, I'm just not, I'm not, I'm not part of the cool crowd, man. Do you know what I mean? Never have been. I think don't don't strive to be. No, yeah, that's it. it it's just I've always been that, you know, bit bit left to center, as they say. <laughs> you know? You know, so yeah, yeah. That's There's nothing wrong with that. No, nah, no. Nah. Don't be another sheep. Yeah, be a liar. It, 
yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it, mate. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fucking hell. So, what was the? What's kind of one of those tour moments where you just go, "What the fuck am I doing?" Uh, South America. South America. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been twice. Uh, once with Halloween. Yeah. Which is actually good fun, but just mad. And the second time with Cradle of Filth, <laughs> which was just fucking nuts. Oh my God. The oh, Halloween was... one was fine. It was all very well organized. It all ran reasonably smoothly. There was, you always get a couple of little hiccups, but nothing serious apart from getting arrested in Colombia. We basically, we got off the plane, Which went to immigration. <laughs> we all had visas, fresh right. visas in our passports. And the guy at the immigration desk just looked at them and went, these aren't valid. We're like, what? Well, like got them a week ago. And he's like, no. And we all got herded off into a room and we had to, we got locked in a room for it's like eight or nine hours. Um, Fuck that. Yeah. While they sorted it all out, and were uh, they legit? Oh, uh, they were. It was just uh, we reasonably sure it was a money making scam. All right, but it ended up with the promoter took everybody's passports because you can't have a Colombian visa issued in Colombia because they don't have the facilities to do it because you're supposed to have a visa before you get there. So while we were locked in a room under armed guard at the airport, the promoter <laughs> took all of our passports, got on a plane, flew to whatever the next door country was, I can't even remember which one it was now, to go to the Colombian embassy to get them to issue us new visas, got back in the plane, flew back into Cali and got us all out of lockdown. Fuck that, dude. Christ, you know, and and, that, and that's where people think, like, with the realms of touring, they're like, oh, it's a glamorous thing to do. Well, the funny thing about that was they, because they were still really nervous, they, they put us on a bus and took us to a hotel in the city centre and said, because we don't know who you are, we've had this issue with the visas, you have to stay in this hotel tonight. No two ways about it. And be like, you know what, just fucking sort it out. But it turns out the hotel we're in is like super top-notch five-star luxury hotel. Oh, shit. Owned by the government, and they use it to put all their top-ranking officials and army generals and everything in. And you guys in Cradle of Filth. Well, this was on the Halloween tour. <laughs> so we're in this hotel and it turns out the same night the president was staying in the hotel and it's like they think we're a security risk so they've put us in the same hotel as the president so they think you're a security risk so as a resolve of that they put you in the same hotel as the president because yeah. you're a security risk it's just mental oh my god but yeah, and that's it's it's an adventure. I mean, the, the, somebody once said to me that touring is a life of adventure and adversity, all slammed together at once. Yeah, yeah. 
But yeah, going back the, the second time, going with uh, Cradle of Filth was just fucking nuts. The promoter was a bit dodgy. Um, we try to think what gig it was. I think it was it was either Bogota or Cali again, Colombia. The about fifteen minutes into the gig, mosh pit started. That's fair enough. Yeah, yeah. It's a metal gig, it's a mosh pit. The army were doing security and the guy in charge had never done a metal gig before and he thought the mosh pit was a riot starting. So in a sports hall, they start to fire tear gas into the crowd while we're still on stage. There's nowhere for it to go. There's nowhere for that to go indoors, mate. um, Adrian, the drummer, who was Swedish, had done Swedish National Service. And as soon as he got a single whiff of it, he he knew exactly what it was. And we we got everybody off stage. But it was just horrific to watch the kids. Oh, Um, yeah, of course. Well, Adrian played for Paradise Lost for a bit, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, I saw him when he was doing that tour. That was a couple of years ago. He was great. Yeah. He was great. Yeah, that was just after his um, time of Cradle. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think anybody stays with Cradle particularly long. Yeah, so I heard. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a story that, that, that's told. The, the first thing I ever did with Cradle, they were doing uh, a weekend, like two gigs in Scandinavia. Sorry. And I got asked to tag along just to help out. <laughs> and we'd done the first show back to the hotel and everybody's kind of sitting at one big long table in the restaurant. And Danny being Danny decides he wants some attention. Yeah. So he starts throwing food about in the restaurant. And I, because I didn't know him, I kind of leaned over the table and I, I very politely explained to him what was going to happen if he kept doing it. And he stormed off in the huff. And about half an hour later, their manager phoned me and went, what exactly did you say to him? So I told them and they went, probably the right thing to say. To the right Let's person. try not to do it again. I just told him if it, if that. I would beat the shit out of him if he didn't start behaving himself. <laughs> Why do people do it though? You know, it's like, come on, man, all that shit's been done. Just yeah. play a good show and be a nice person. Yeah. Well, it's weird. I've noticed over the years, I've seen it with a lot of people that the whole getting completely fucking blind drunk before you go on stage. I've seen it so many times. And I, I correctly or not, I've got a theory that a lot of people in that position, they love the attention, pardon me, but they're terrified of it at the same time. Yeah. They're terrified of getting up onto stage in case they don't get the attention that they want. So they drink to compensate for that, to take the fear away. But a lot of the time that makes them act like twice. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you see a lot, man. Might not be right. Well, no, dude, I've done. I mean, like, I've, I have, I haven't done anything like on that scale on, you know, any stadium stuff. But when I've done 
you know small tour managing and teching and all sorts of bits like that and it's not necessarily the bands i'm working with, but you, i mean one of the things about being a, a road dog as you know is that you're a fly on the wall to a lot of shit oh yeah you know and people forget that there's other people around that aren't part of your crew which can happily go and tell someone i've just fucking heard this and seen that you yeah. know it's like um uh i was doing something uh um a festival um a really i can't was it stone dead stone death festival company way around they call it now really good bunch of guys that run it and um i was teching for the amarets and stuff and uh inglorious were playing <laughs> and nathan james obviously had just done this video of going don't fucking you know doing it all that like being completely hammered on facebook live and stuff and i was like oh well you know if he's about you know i'll see from from my own self what the guy's like sure enough <laughs> it was a pretty accurate description of what it was like because yeah. he came off this off this bus and came into like the artist liaison area as i was kind of walking out and he had like shades on inside <laughs> And then there was like these two, there was like this older woman like running behind him, holding like holdalls and then like uh, trying to hold it. And he's like, yeah, if you could just keep up with me, please, that would be great. <laughs> that type of thing is like, dude, like, you know, come on. Yeah. You know, not even Freddie did that. You know, come on, dude. You know, it's like, it's funny. Isn't it? I find the, I find the night, the bigger the person, the nicer they are. Yeah. Because, you know, there's there's a hard work ethic and they understand people for a start. Yeah. The people that are kind of bobbling around on a lower key that think that, again, they, that they're owed something. They're just not nice people. You but know? then you get, you get to a stage where they become almost too big. And they're surrounded by too many people who, because they're so big and because they... they want their jobs they never say no to them yeah then there's again there's a flip on it isn't yeah this it's another thing that i've said for a while it's like a giant circle you start off with bands who don't know how the system works because there is a system and if yeah, there you is, yeah. if you whether you want to think you're being a, a rebel or whatever you have to play the system to make it work mm -hmm. You start, there's a certain point where you start where you don't know how the system works. So you come in with an attitude thinking that's what people expect. And you're just going to fuck it all up. Yeah. As you travel around the circle, you get about halfway around and you get the bands like the guys from Clutch or Real Big Fish or these bands who are out doing 250, sometimes 300 shows a year. Yeah, the professionals, they know what they're doing. Yeah, they get in they they pleasant to everybody, they make they do whatever they can to make the show work, they get some money in the pocket and they go away and they do it all again the next day. Yeah, because they know how the system works. They know it's never going to be perfect. They know there's always going to be hiccups, but that's just the way it happens. Yeah. That's just life. Exactly. Then you, you get further around all the way around to the end of the circle where you're in that position where people don't want to say no to you and you don't realize what's going on it's almost like you're losing touch with the real world mm. 
and and it it becomes disjointed from reality again yeah have you worked with a lot of people that have done uh, have been that exact thing uh a little bit nothing major like that um i think the more i saw of that the more it made me think i i just i was better off without it yeah totally yeah yeah dipping because it's very in. easy to get sucked into that oh yeah yeah i i i bet yeah well a couple of years ago i was like uh you know it's a funny thing right because as an artist i understand how it works so i'm you know like you said i'm in that kind of thing of like i get it you know it's just the way things are okay you do deal with some twats sometimes you just have to go like all right okay whatever we crack on so using that knowledge when i go out and i'm on the other side of that i can kind of have a bit of leeway with the odd artist where i'm like i get it you know you're tired or whatever it's cool i'll give you a bit of you know a bit of a weave but yeah the more and more if you're good at what you do you know as you know you just get asked to do bigger and bigger stuff yeah and the further up the <laughs> further up the ladder you get it doesn't become any easier you just because yeah maybe the work might be bigger paycheck might be better but there is an element where it gets convoluted people get like you said that uh, there's a there's a massive disconnect with yeah. like reality and what they think really happens, you know, and you see that a lot. I see it a lot in um, TV. I mean, I, me, me and my partner Beck, we barely ever watch TV, TV, you know, and all those like reality shows of like, you know, like Love Island and all that bollocks. No idea who any of these people are. Yeah, I don't fucking have a clue. But they're celebrities, apparently. Yeah, well, you know, they're not though, are they? They're just flashing yeah. the pans, you know. And you see it now, like they suddenly have this like weird, unfiltered, <laughs> you know, thing of what um they think reality is and what's happening to them. Yeah. It's bizarre. And then, you know, like I bet you it's almost like they're caricatures of the people they once were. Yes. <laughs> you know. And it's weird, isn't it? You know, and no wonder like you get like people watching that shit and then treating people badly in in yeah. in real life because they think that's kind of what you have to do or what, what there's got to be it's bizarre you know absolutely bizarre you know you get it's... it a lot with like the youtuber generation yeah you know there's there's a few youtubers that i know they're lovely loveliest people ever and there's a couple where it's like who are you man <laughs> but it's, it goes back to kind of the same thing it's people who are desperate for attention mm. yeah Absolutely. and there's a there's a there's a line that they cross that's that's when it just all becomes too much yeah i think it's like you know it's like you pick I, I picked up a guitar and I was like, man, this is it. I've, you know, I'm not, you know, my brain is not designed to be, you know, sat in academia. Ironically, I'm now <laughs> lecturer. But you know, it's in music still, it's not really the same thing as like teaching GCSE math, is it? But you know, 
you pick up an instrument and you're like fucking hell this is good you know and then you're like oh i'm actually all right at this and you start naturally progressing through things you know but i wonder where there's that point where some people you know they have they've had that because otherwise they wouldn't have like persevered with it but then like you said there's that fine line and it gets crossed and then that side of their their passion or the heart and soul of where it started just gets overtaken and flooded with attention yeah you know and i wonder where that point is you know where it's kind of like that stupid adage of like you know too much is not enough well there, there comes a certain point and, and i've seen it in a lot of people that you you don't know if people are being nice to you because they want to be nice to you or really being nice to you because they think they can get something out of you they think yeah. they can make money off you they think they can use you to to further their career oh yeah dude yeah yeah i, I mean but some people just crave the attention and they're they're happy to to just kind of ignore all of that yeah it's weird isn't it you know i mean i've i'm 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 a fucking nobody and i'm cool with that but like it's amazing how some people give the perception of things you're doing that you're something else yeah and they forget that you know i'm just a i'm just a bloke who has some friends that are in the industry you know and i happen to be in the same industry or some shit you know as simple as that right and then you know you see it where people go like oh um know start talking to you weird or something you know and it is weird it's like when you're on tour and you're like a couple of dates in and there's that thing of like oh man they're in town and they're doing that thing it's like dude i was working with you backstage two years ago you know now i'm on stage yeah. playing rather than you know with you doing backline tech or something like that and they start talking to you weird and you're like dude we shared a bit couple of beers like we, we, we what's going on you know it's like i'm no different mate you know you know it's a really weird thing or you get it the other way where you've worked with people and kind of probably you know we're adding to what we're saying there but they get up the tree a bit and then they start talking to you weird and you're like whoa mate i remember you know you know you back in the day you're not like that and what's going on you know that's a common thing that i see yeah. from a few things you know it's like, whoa, mate, you know. You're People not are, seem <laughs> desperate to either push you up or pull you down. Oh, dude, yeah. Well, I've and had the, my fair share of that in the last the year. The people that now. you can rely on the most are the people who are just there. Yeah. Who, who don't want anything. Yeah. But that's, that's few and far between. I mean, I'll, I'm quite happily say to people, I've got an awful lot of acquaintances but very few what i would call proper friends yeah same i know I'm an awful lot of people, people but yeah yeah big time yeah it's interesting that it's again it's like well i mean social media is a fucking great example of how that gets so fucking again convoluted with like the that juxtaposition of reality versus yeah. you know because you know, people go like, oh my God, like you're, you're out there doing this and you know that person. And it's like, oh, they're your friend. It's like, no, you know, and some people, 
have it where they're a fan of your band and stuff and they you know there is a lot of fans that i have of me that i'm that i would call like yeah you're, you're a cool person and i like you i'll happily chat to you as a friend and you're a good acquaintance you know one or two have become really good friends you know things like that but it's you know i don't follow a band and get a reply off instagram or someone and think fucking hell he's my mate now yeah <laughs> you know and that's another thing i think people on the other end of that who aren't on aren't the artist getting the attention they are also have like a 1982 groupie mindset but in social media <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? it's, it's, it's it's really funny has it changed i mean has that stuff changed so much from your end because obviously when you've you know been out and done all that stuff previously um, before all of myspace <laughs> it's it happened i mean look back to like the heyday the the, the 60s and 70s it was happening then it's just much more amplified now because of it's it's so much more in your face yeah and you've got so much easy access to the information mm. um and it, it becomes for the artist it becomes well we need to put something out on our instagram every day to keep people's att attention mm. we need to do something really cool so that people keep following us yeah um i don't know if i if i had an answer to it i'd be making a lot of money yeah <laughs> um yeah i think totally it just uh, the older i get the 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 more kind of jaded and grumpier you get because you do though don't you yeah there's this you see the younger and younger and younger people coming in all the time yeah yeah i'm very i'm very i'm very very jaded from playing live at the moment I think I will be for a few years. Yeah. Like I've got no intention of playing live. You know, I'm really enjoying writing. Yeah. You know, and well, that type of thing. But the idea of standing on stage with a guitar and, you know, it's just like, fuck, I just, not now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, can't see it happening for years for me personally. You know, just on that, on that premise of, you know, the, I think it's, you know, you know how much work goes into it. People don't see it, yeah. you know, you know, hours, like months, sometimes weeks just to be on stage for 55 minutes or whatever, you know, and they're like, yeah, of course. And you blow people's minds and it sounds great and you do all this stuff. And it's, you know, for that time, small fraction, like it's worth it, you know, but I think, you know, which would be my next question, you know, with, with that stuff, like it does, it, it's definitely jaded me there's no two ways about it you know um in fact if it wasn't for my partner beck i probably wouldn't be playing guitar at all right now do you know what i mean so i'm i'm lucky i've got that where i can you know still source and write and things and feel good about it but yeah the idea of playing live is like nah not not for me at all yeah. you know and a, so how a, do you a think live gig is like the tip of an iceberg it's yeah. the bright shiny bit at the top yeah but you don't see everything else that's under the water 
it's, it's been like a whole that thing. duck scenario, isn't it? You know, yeah. the calm duck like that, but underneath it's like, you know. It's it's like with all the gigs being shut down now, and and people forget. I mean, there's a whole campaign that, that we make events campaign going on at the moment, trying to to raise awareness and support the crew people who are out of work. But you don't realise if you look at something, most people's um, experience of a gig now. The average person in the street going to a gig, they're going to probably an arena show. Yeah. Yeah. Where you've got five people on stage in the band playing for an hour and a half. On some shows, you're looking at between local crew and touring crew up to 400 people yeah. to put that show together. Yeah not talking about managers and record company and all the other stuff in the background just to do that one show yeah and people have got no idea they don't think about it it's like well how do you think all that fucking stuff flies up in the air yeah well it's like you know i say to people i was like you know imagine setting up a business and then closing it but it has to be the most successful business ever and then you close it on a on a on a happy retirement fund and they're like yeah, and I was like, well, you have six hours to do that at night. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, how do you do that? And I go, you don't. It takes hundreds of people to do it. It can't be done by one. It can't be done by a few small people, you know. And that's the thing, isn't it? You know, and especially when, you know, it's interesting, you know, when you see people who are in the industry or they're artists or bands or whatever, and they go, yeah, I wouldn't mind doing some teching. And I'm like, you sure? sure about that you know how's your back mate you know yeah you know do you sleep well do you know how to sleep anywhere you know it's like i can it's one of those things where i remember that's one of the funniest things ace ever said to me i said um, before i went out on my first tour he's like i was like oh have you got any advice and he went learn to sleep anywhere at any time yeah and i was like what and he goes by the third day you'll know what i meant <laughs> the third day i was like, <laughs> like that you know, while the other band is sound checking, hood up in the corner like that. Yeah. Get a get a quick half an hour in, you know, <laughs> things like that. Yeah. I yeah. once fell asleep on the back of the stage at the Ministry of Sound in London, like literally <laughs> on the stage against the back wall in the loud room where it's like 140 something dB. Yeah, decibels. Oh, yeah. Just I hadn't slept for like three days. But it does. I mean, I still do it now. Get in the car if if uh, Antonio's driving. If it's more than ten minutes, I'll be asleep. You're out. Yeah, yeah. I'm the same. Um, me and Beck went to Brighton for my birthday last year, and then um, from where we live, it's only like a fifty-five minute, sixty-minute drive. And um, in twenty minutes, I was like, <laughs> you know, just like you know, because it's like, oh, I'm not driving. Like, bang, I'm out cold. You know. You know, but if I try and go to bed normally, my brain's like <laughs> on. But it's funny, as soon as you're in like a car or something like that, like if I'm on a on a plane, I'm like bang out. Yeah. If I'm at home in bed, my brain's going, Hey, do you remember when you were eleven and that kid said something really nasty to you? Let's think about that for four hours. <laughs> Please no. <laughs> you need to get like wire up some sort of 
weird device that just gently rocks your bed. Yeah. Yeah, maybe I could get um, our two and two and a half year old just to sit there and like do that, you know, at the bottom of the bed. Yeah, but at the same time, that's usually accompanied with daddy, 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 daddy. <laughs> well, the new, the new one now is get up now. Yeah. Get up now. <laughs> oh, it's brilliant. It's brilliant, isn't it? I usually get woken up now with where's your iPad? Which? <laughs> oh, man. It's like it's wherever you left it last night. Where have you left it, mate? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, Christ, man. Um, well, but it does. Okay. It's that that whole thing. It's it's another like what I was saying. A lot of people just can't handle touring, and it burns them out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People I don't. Mean, you can't. You can't prep for touring. That's the thing. That's the weird thing about it. Is like you can rehearse and you know get yourself into like match fit. You know, but you see people who are great singers, great guitar players. Yeah by the third or fourth night that's the the make or break moment if yeah you're like the third or fourth night and if they're having troubles on that third or fourth night it's like you ain't got the you're not cut out for this yeah you know i mean on, on a, using the, the same example if you're on an arena tour and you're working different departments are slightly different but like from my experience as as the production manager you're the first one and the last one out. Yeah. You're in there with the lighting guys and the riggers. So this is why these things are done. Arena, if you're doing an arena tour, you tend to never do more than three days without a day off. Yeah. Because you're in there at six, seven in the morning. You've got to set everything up. You've got to be on the ball all day. Show happens. Show comes down at 11 o'clock, say half past 10. It's two sometimes three in the morning before that gets out and you've literally got time to get a shower climb into your bunk get three if you're lucky hours sleep and then you're up and you're doing it all again yeah and that's if you haven't got a noisy bus yeah of people having like oh that was a great night let's celebrate you know or someone's birthday well, on the bigger tours that's how you organize your buses you see yeah that's it yeah oh my god yeah yeah um so yeah it does it takes its toll on you yeah. So do you think you'll be going back out on the road when the world returns to normal? No. <laughs> I've got, I know, I, 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 having family changes everything. Mm. Yeah, that's it. I've got no, I've got no desire to, to, to play live. Yeah. No desire. Yeah. I mean, like the pitch of the thing, it's a week. That's, yeah. that's like a little, that's like a boy's long, long weekend Dude, holiday. Yeah, that's, that's like a brotherhood. Because you do that week and by the time you get to the end of it, as I said earlier on, you're like, right, that's enough. I'm going yeah, to, I want done. my own bed again. Done with that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm Especially driving JS around. I don't want to deal with any more of Clayton's shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know this sounds horrible because we're saying all this shit about him, but oh, I do no, he's only it. done in jest, isn't it? Where it's like, you know, I remember like, I think it was like the, fourth night in and we're heading up to manchester you know and that horrific loading yeah you know going up to the academy three and i played there a couple of weeks afterwards funny enough and i was just like oh my god not this place again but yeah it was like i remember it was running late or something like that because of where we're staying from because we had to take different routes from where the tour bus was going was like, oh my god and uh i was doing vocal warm-ups with him <laughs> In the, in the van 
you know and he's like there's no sound check where you know it's gone because of whatever reason you know and it's like okay you know like kids are there going like mom I want to, you know, all this stuff and it's like okay like a you know what i mean and like all this stuff so hang on oh, a sec it's beautiful chaos hang on mate kids are great man they're so good it's so it's they're so they're so goddamn funny man yeah i think there's so many people that i have zoom meetings with that all know hamish now because he just appears <laughs> if it's not him it's the cat who's currently asleep there oh yeah man. who at some point will appear there yeah oh it's so funny it's like i was when i was interviewing um zach um miller from the blood republic <laughs> amelia was like uh can i uh come and say hello and i was like yeah i'll give you a call in and uh before i had a chance to do that it was just like this bang through the door like <laughs> yeah. just like she's like hi and he was like uh you're right you're like he wasn't like he's not obviously like gifted with kids and stuff and didn't know how to interact so he was just like oh hello <laughs> she's like you're famous <laughs> Oh, it's really well I, I suppose it's good that they they if they're growing up with that then they won't be as enamored by all the bullshit when they get older yeah that's kind of my hope with it it's funny it's like i bet you get it people go oh are you gonna have your kids um get into the industry and stuff and i'm like no, no. they're all gonna be lawyers <laughs> yeah or a vet yeah. you know it's yeah something that um yeah well i'll tell you what that's that there's there's um there's um smash's final thought here where it's where do you think the industry is going to go and as we talk this is the end of this is march the 25th 2021 so where the fuck is the industry going to go from here dude i think the industry the business side of it will do everything it can to keep it going the way it's going. Yeah. Is that what makes the money? Yeah. I love the approach that a lot of artists are taking now, which is to bypass that completely. Um, you can't make money selling records anymore. No, it's impossible. You have to do something different. Um, bands who are grasping that who have got the bands who control themselves and don't have to follow the system they might not be millionaires but some of the stuff that's 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 coming out is is great because mm -hmm. there's no pressure you can it's going back almost going back to the same thing there's no not not that there's no shit filter but it's like um last year well starting 2019 into last year underworld did a thing called drift which was every month they just released four tracks completely free right i'll go on the website download it and it's a lot of stuff that probably wouldn't have made it onto an album to be yeah. released by a record company because some great that. stuff on there yeah 65 days of static at the moment to me are the most interesting band to watch because they're never going to be huge yeah which is sad thing 
but they did a similar thing where you, I think it was 30 quid for the year and they released an EP on the first of the month, every month. That's amazing. Now it's the same thing. It's a lot of stuff that, that wouldn't have got past the system and ever been released by a record company. Some of it, you think that's literally just something that's been unfinished. Yeah. And they've put it out for shits. Yeah. Yeah. Some of it was amazing and they're doing a similar thing now, which is literally just in the process of, of starting called uh, wreckage systems where the, and it sounds, it sounds like one of those really pretentious art things, but I've, I've got in on the ground floor and listened to some of it. They're basically setting up a system that's using AI and algorithms to automatically generate what I would call is like soundtrack music. Right. <laughs> and it's literally going to run 24 hours a day. And you can log on to it anytime and listen to it as much or as little as you want. That's fucking nuts. But that's all completely free. But yeah. to pay for that, they've done a, a, a patron thing where you pay them. I think the, the, the bottom's like five quid a month. But if you're paying that five quid a month, they'll do the same like they did before where every month or so you'll get a new proper release. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, to me, that's a great idea because they're not being constrained by a record company. They've got complete creative freedom. Yeah. But the, they've got enough people that will sign up for that to give them not a lot of money, but a wage that's going to pay them to keep doing it. Yes. That's what, that's the system I've made the exact same thing. You know, um, the only way I'm, the only way I'm able to continue recording music, I can create music till the cows come home. You know, I can, I can write it all day long. Yeah. But my passion is writing and having people hear it, but there's yeah. only one way of hearing it on a standard where I believe, you know, I was saying this to Chris Sheldon, actually, it was funny. I was like, dude, since I've, since I work with you, I'm, I'm stuffed. Uh, you know, I, I'm going to have to work with you for the rest of my life, <laughs> you know, cause the standard is like up here and then anything below it is like, well, this is pointless. <laughs> yeah. You know, so it's, that's kind of where I'm at with that, you know? So but I think in general, being from a, a, a slightly older generation, I, I'm still a big fan of albums. I'll put on an album, listen to the whole thing. Yeah, so do I. Yeah, but getting the whole story. More and more nowadays, music is being consumed in smaller chunks. Fast food. Exactly. Yeah, it's fast food. So I think if people want to keep the attention of the younger audience, who are the ones who are consuming it, A, you have to figure out how to pay for it. But B, more frequent releases of music is going to be the way to go. Because if you don't, this is this is part of the same thing. It's feeding into that desire for attention. If you don't keep waving something in front of their face, they're going to drift off and go do something else because they don't have the attention span for it anymore. 
Yeah, I mean, I say it to um, to students all the time. I was like, you release your album Friday morning, and by twelve o'clock, it's old. Yeah, you know, so there's no point in releasing ten tracks because they'll all be old. Maybe over ten months. Yeah, then they'll still be relevant. You know, that's that's that. that's why the other two examples. It, I I still try to do one new album one piece of music that I haven't heard before every week. Yeah, same. Whether it's recommendations from somebody or or just going online and finding something. The way that the 65 Days of Static thing worked, knowing that every month on the first of the month, I had something to look forward to. I had a new piece of music yeah. from, from a band that I loved. Yeah. It's, it's like being a kid again. You get excited totally dude yeah yeah you're getting excited about a release yeah now people putting an album out and it's like all right the album's coming out in june but we're going to release one track now and then one track there and it's like by the time the album's released you've heard it all yeah you've heard it all yeah yeah and there's that i suppose that's it really in it that you know so yeah it's interesting how i think it will evolve uh the industry i think the live thing with that you know, well, I mean, you know, it's, it's it's not, you know, not something I want to touch for quite a long period of time. I think my time in the dolls, where towards the end of it was really kind of tainted with like just stupid shit that would happen live. Yeah. You know, and then you you just go like fucking hell, man. Like, I mean, like I'm relatively young in terms of some things, you know, and but I'm now on that line where it's like. I don't want to put up with that shit anymore. <laughs> Do yeah. you know what I mean? I mean, there's always there's always going to be an audience for a live show. Yes, there is. Yeah. Because from an audience's point of view, that's the big bang for them. Yeah. The problem with that becomes because people can't make money selling records anymore. The show's the only source of income. So you want to do bigger and better shows all the time. Yeah. To make that happen, the show costs more. To make that happen, the ticket price has got to be higher. And a lot of these things are pricing themselves out now. I mean, you're looking the what was the last big one that I I was horrified at? You too. I think the cheapest ticket you could get was seventy five quid. For fuck's sake, it's bullshit. Going up to something like four hundred and something quid. Some people don't even earn seventy five quid in a day. Yeah, it's like, you you can't be, you know, you can't, you know, ironically, a band like that have fed into everything they hate. (laughs) Yeah, you know what I mean? Uh, You know, it's, you know, oh, man, but Christ alive. But well, it was awesome. We could probably chat for about four days. Yes. You know, and um, I'll leave you with one thing. Gone then. I've been asked quite a lot what my advice is for young musicians starting out a business and coming up. And it's on, always then. the same thing. Right. No matter how much money they wave at you, do not sell your publishing rights. A hundred percent. Keep them 100%. because that is your product. That's that's publishing is where it's at. And that won't change. No, no, that won't change. And that's too. the first, usually the first thing to go before you've got a record deal. Yeah, people. Some they'll say, "Well, we'll give you twenty five grand for the rights to all your songs." As soon as you do that, you don't own those songs anymore. No, they're not yours. No, you're a puppet playing them. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. Keep your creative content. Keep the creative content and keep your publishing rights. Yes. Absolutely, man. And the second most important rule, don't be a dick. <laughs> it's as and simple it's, as that. It, yeah, I say it all the time. Be a nice person, person dude. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You know, be a people person, people. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, because uh, if you're um, on the way up and you're an asshole, you never know if you're going to need them when you're on the way down. And if yeah. you're being an asshole, no one's going to be there to catch you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know. Oh man! Well, Al, it was great catching up with you, man. Thanks for spending the time to uh, jump on the show. And it's quite um, right, I've got to yeah. do bath time now. So yeah, absolutely. What for yourself? If I'm not, if I'm not wiping Clayton's arse, I'm wiping my son's arse. Yeah, oh, fuck. Yeah, yeah. Well, I look forward to that at some point. Yeah. <laughs> Al, thank you so much, dude. It's wicked it's to easy, see mate. you. I'll speak to you soon. All the best, dude. Huge love, hey, everyone. Thank you so much for watching. You know what to do. Hit subscribe, hit the notification bell, really help us out. And don't forget, you can also support my brand new record out on Patreon now at patreon.com forward slash Nicky Smash Official.